Lord, bless your word tonight, God. Speak to us. Motivate us. Set us on fire, God, for you. Help us to learn to grow and to know how to be your light, God. And place within us, Lord, a heart like yours. Eyes to see like how you see things, God. Help us, Lord, to be your representatives on this earth. So anoint your word. Bless it with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. With great zeal, this newly saved barber wanted to tell the world about Jesus. He was determined to not let any opportunity go without him sharing Jesus. So when his first customer sat in the chair, the zealous barber lathered him up for a shave and thought this was the perfect time to give the gospel. But it really didn't turn out right. For with his straight razor in his hand, the barber turned to the man in the chair and said, Are you ready to meet God? Well, the man immediately jumped off the chair and ran out the barber shop with shaving cream all over his face. And I would say, well, that's not the right approach, right? <laughs> it's not the best approach there. It's been said if we don't use tact, we may lose contact. <laughs> I like that. Got to remember that. Well, we return here tonight and we continue our study in the book of Acts. And here we learn from Paul uh, his example on how to share Jesus. That, that's what we're going to really see in the rest of Acts 17 here. And I titled our message, It's All in Your Approach. <laughs> it's all in your approach. We're going to be studying Acts 17 from verse 16 through uh, 34. We're going to do the rest of this chapter. We did the first half last week, so we're going to finish it up tonight. And in our section tonight, in the second half, we're going to see four things to help us in our approach in sharing Jesus. And the four things is our outline and our points. And number one is uh, grieving the condition, to be grieving the condition. Number two is gaining a listening ear. Number three is getting the connection. And lastly, giving the true gospel. So we have grieving, gaining, getting, giving. And I'll give that to you as we go. Let's begin here with grieving the condition. By the way, um, here, we're, we're going to be just covering verse 16, just verse 16. So first of all, grieving the condition, verse 16. Let's take a look at that verse right here. Verse 16, it says, Now Paul, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So we're going to stop right there. Well, we begin here, the writer Luke is, is continuing on in this story. And he says, now, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's, he's waiting for them in Athens. So he's in the city of Athens, and who's with them? Well, it's Silas and Timothy. If you remember, uh, Paul had traveled from Berea. I forgot to give you guys the map, or maybe we have it, but maybe we don't. But if you remember on the map, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, we saw last week that he ended up from uh, Berea on a boat, right, all the way, we learned last week, to Athens. So here he's in the city of Athens. He sent word for Silas and Timothy 
to come. And so he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. And we are really in the middle of the second missionary journey. Remember, Paul had ended up in the city of Athens because the Jews were after him. They were persecuting him. And they came to Berea and they heard he was there from Thessalonica. And so Paul fled and um, uh, Silas and Timothy stayed. But now he's waiting for them to come in and join him. So as we begin here in verse 16, Paul's waiting for these guys, for his missionary team. He's on the second missionary journey, and he's here in the city of Athens. Now we also find while he is waiting, his spirit that was inside of him, you know, his heart, his spirit, everything inside of him was provoked when he saw what the, that the city was full of idols. So this word provoked in the Greek, it, it means to be stirred up. It means to be, like, agitated. The same Greek word is, is really translated in New Testament different ways, like, like angry or like that. But, but in context of what we're reading here, and even in the Greek, you, you don't want to just define the words, but it's the context that really gives its definition. He's, he's just stirred up about this, and, and, and he's stirred, about, uh, uh, stirred up in a compassionate way. I like the NLT translates provoked with this. He was deeply troubled. I like that. That, that really says it. it was really getting to him when he saw this city full of idols. I mean, this city had idol statues and temples all over the place. So coming into the city, seeing what was going on, it sent Paul's heart to grieve over the condition of this city, the city of Athens. Now, Athens is this Greek city, and in its prime, it was like the cultural center of the world. 400 years before Paul came to this city, it was home to Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, names that we know, these philosophers. And Athens was still going on. It was, it, it was still a, a cultural a city. It was known for that. I think the city of Corinth had risen up even more than that at this time. But still, Athens was still established here. Matter it was known for its universities, its education. Also, the, the, the city, which is named after Athena, the goddess of wisdom and war, it, it was a city known for its philosophy and religion. Uh, they, were, they would say that uh, when you go to Athens, almost every god in every religion could be worshipped there. That, that was how, how crazy this was. There was idols set up everywhere. Every single building in Athens was dedicated to a certain god or goddess. That's what this was like when Paul came to this city. The Greek uh, writer, a secular writer, Petronius, said it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. That's how crazy it was. Uh, one person said that there was like 30,000 kinds of statues and temples all over this city. So you can imagine, no wonder Paul coming into the city sent his heart to really grieve over the condition of the city. So here's Paul. We see him come into the city in verse 16, and he's grieving the condition here of the city of Athens. He's just grieving the condition. He's grieving over that right now. Now, I think that's important because sharing Jesus with others, it starts here with a heart for 
the people, grieving over them, where they're at, their condition. And I want to give you two ways that I believe Paul grieved over. And first of all, Paul grieved the lostness of the people. Paul grieved the lostness of the people. I mean, think about all these idols, all these temples, all these different gods and goddesses that the people believed in and they they went and offered sacrifice, worshipped, uh, said this was real, the truth, all the even philosophies connected to all that. All of that was in this city, and I think that really grieved his heart. And, and I was thinking about it in this way, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 20, Paul talks about that when Gentiles give offerings or sacrifices to idols, they are actually worshiping, giving to what? Demons. And so all these idols behind them is actually a demon. So can you imagine he's in this city? Yeah, thousands and thousands of statues and idols and there's temples. But actually behind it all is demons. And these people not knowing that, they're coming in. They don't know the truth about that. They come, they live there, they give their homage to these different gods and goddesses when actually they're falling into the deception of the devil. That's what's going on. So you can see Paul's heart grieving. In Ephesians 4.14, Paul even warned to not fall into prey, you know, of, of that deception of being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And, and that's what these guys were really into. They, they liked all these different religions. They, they, they liked all the philosophies and everything that was going on here. So he was deeply troubled. Because you know what? These guys are chasing after nothing. They're being scammed, led astray from the truth of God. I was thinking about this, how um, uh, uh, there's talk out there that um, tuning your musical instrument to A440 hertz is is what we usually tune to here in, in North America. It harms your health. It, 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 some even say it's a secret Nazi scheme that was started back in, in World War II. Uh, some say that the Rockefeller Foundation was trying to control your conscience. And even I heard someone saying that the devil is in 440 hertz, like tuning you know, your guitar to that frequency. They say it should be 432 hertz, a little lower. But Actually, 440 was established as a standard pitch back in 1917. And, and I, I've always tuned my guitar <laughs> to 440. And, and I've led worship a lot for years and years. But I never felt like, oh, no, you know, I sense a demon or something. No, you know, I felt the presence of God. To me, it's another example of people being tossed to and fro. Yeah, by every wind of, let's say, conspiracy theories. Well, think about that. I mean, to me, I bring that up because I think, wow, that's ridiculous when I read that. But, and there's nothing biblical about that either. And, and that troubles me that people would buy into that. But think about spiritually what people are buying into, what they are embracing as, as religion, what, what, what they're, they're grabbing onto and giving everything to, thinking that that's the truth, that this is the way. 
That's Paul. He's deeply troubled there. Paul grieved for the lostness of the people. Here's the second thing I believe he grieved for is Paul grieved the dishonor to the Lord God. I think that was big on him. I mean, here's a Pharisee, right? Or or once Pharisee. Here's a, a Jewish guy raised to honor God. But now he comes to the city and there's all kinds of idols. I mean, he knows the commandments, right? Like Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not carve an image. You're not to bow down and worship, the commandment tells us. In Athens, there's idols for all the Greek gods, and there was idols for other things, like the god of fire and water, the god of the sun, the god of the moon. Um, They even got into this, the god of hate. Yeah, the, the, the God of anger or the, the, the God of love, the God of sex. The, the God, they even had a God of rumors or the God of shame. And it's so sad that there was all these kinds of idols and goddesses and things. that It wasn't just about in, in uh, adamant objects or animals or things like that. I mean, you and I, we may not worship trees or whales today, but we can still get into things, right? And set up idols. For example, like we, what we've been talking about with our, on Sundays is we set up an idol of ourself, right? Some people, it's an idol of security. Everything's about security. Some people, it's an idol of approval. How about that one? Or relationships. Maybe that's an idol. Or status. Food, the, the hunger for food, you know, maybe eating. Or Maybe it's an idol of health. Yeah? There's a big craze today, right? Or how about this? The idol of comfort. Yeah? Got to be always comfortable or do what's convenient. It, 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 is that what we're setting up before our Lord God when he's supposed to be the one we honor? Paul's grieved on how these guys dishonored the Lord God. You know, I've been um, going through Ezra as we turn over New Year, I've been studying uh, my daily devotion, reading uh, Ezra, and it's really been hitting me as, as Ezra comes in, and, and it really been speaking to me, especially like how he writes, the gracious hand of the Lord my God was on me. That's Ezra 7. And I love that because it's not, oh, God, you're with me, I'm glad. You know, oh, no, it's by your grace you're with me. And then he, he's praying, he's weeping, he's on his knees fasting and tears are coming out as he confessed the sin of the nation. That they, they're coming back from captivity, captivity, right? But it was because of their sin against God. And so he's weeping for the nation. He's not blaming them. He's not even judging them, but he's looking at the honor of God and how his people... I went against the Lord, and the consequences was the captivity. And it, it just reminded me of myself. Do, do I grieve over my sin that dishonors God? Do, do I have idols that dishonor God? Am I in this lostness of thinking, well, it's all right. God loves me. He, he'll give me grace and mercy. Or do I really submit and humble myself? to our Lord God who created us. And, and that's what I think Paul is taking in here as he's standing in the city of Athens. And so understand, in, in our witnessing, in our life, 
It's all in your approach here. Yeah. In, in, in having that grieving over the condition. So here's Paul grieving the condition of the city. Well, let's go to number two now. Gaining a listening ear. Gaining a listening ear. And we're going to be covering uh, verse 17 through 21. A, a big chunk here. And here in verse 17, we'll go ahead and read the section. It says in Acts 17, verse 17, So he reasoned in the, in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babble, babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign di- uh, divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the uh, Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new uh, teaching is that you are presenting For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. All right, so Paul being grieving, Paul grieving over the condition of the city. So what did he do? Well, he, in verse 17, we read, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. So he did what he normally did, his missionary plan of outreach, right? His MPO, missionary plan of outreach. He, he, he did what he did in going into different cities. And we've read that. We read what he did in Thessalonica. We, he did the same in Berea. And so, so he comes in just like any other city. He finds a synagogue and he began to reason. Remember that word reason we learned early, last week? What it means he had a discussion, an intelligent discussion. He, 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 he taught a study on the Old Testament, on the Messiah, on the prophecies. He, he, he taught them from the Old Testament scriptures, these Jews in the Jewish synagogues. And also, uh, who was listening was the devout, that's the devout Gentiles, the proselytes, those who had converted to Judaism. But not only in the synagogue, we read here he also went where? To the marketplace. He went to what is called the Agora. It's like the town square where where there's an open-air market and people are selling their things and food and all that. So he went there. There's a lot of people there, and he began to share Jesus to anyone who would listen. So here's Paul going out, sharing Jesus in the city uh, with that heart, yeah, to wanting people to know Jesus. And during that time when he's out there in the marketplace, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with them. They had this discussion as Paul tried to reason with them. Now, the Epicureans, they were followers of this guy named Epicurus who believed this. They, they were into this. They believed that uh, living for your pleasures and material goods, that, that's what life is about. They didn't believe in any afterlife. They didn't believe in any of that, not even into any of the gods. They just thought, well, live life to your fullest kind of talk, like we say today. And then we have the Stoic guys, the Stoic philosophers. They, fought, they were followers of a guy named Zeno. And he believed that you can achieve your purpose in life through discipline and reason 
and logic. So, so th- they were like into making sure you were like the master of your own life or the master of your fate. They believed in many gods, though. And um, so here's these philosopher guys. They started to discuss, and as Paul reasoned with them, they started to talk with them. But here we read that um, in, um, there's this, um, I can't see it, (laughs) Uh, verse 18, some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and a resurrection. So in verse 18, uh, these guys, are, what was this babbler? The Greek word literally means seed picker, like a bird just picking, pecking at different things. And here's Paul. They think he's just grabbing this and grabbing that and forming something here. So they're, they're, they're kind of mocking him, basically. But some other people are saying, well, this is kind of interesting. He's, he's talking about this foreign kind of God and divinities, and, and especially when he preaches about Jesus and his resurrection. Either way, whether they're mocking him or, or, or they're starting to listen, Paul was gaining listening ears. So he caught the interest of these guys so that uh, we see that in, uh, in verse 19, they took him and brought him to the area of Pagas, which is um, an otherwise known as, you might have heard in other Bible studies, Mars Hill. And so that's famous. What we're looking at is pretty famous about Paul going to Athens, Mars Hill. And Mars Hill, this Areopagus, is where the the city would actually hold court, official court proceedings. But but that, that was not what was going on here. It wasn't some official government purpose. But they want to gather here, and they want to hear from Paul. They want to talk this out. They want to discuss things because... Because we want to hear this new teaching that you're doing. We, we, we want to kind of get into it and hear about it and learn. So, so it's kind of like this time where everyone came out to hear Paul. And, and, and they wanted to know. Now, Luke makes a little comment here. I like this in verse 21. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there, they would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They were into this. So Paul was attract, uh, attracted to them. He was novel. He, oh, look, Paul, he, he, uh, he's here. Wow, he's talking about this. So Luke makes a comment that these guys in Athens, they, they were into these new things. They, they are into novel things, which really opened this opportunity for Paul to share Jesus. Now, what I want you to see here is that Paul just continued to do what Paul did. Right? There's no striving here. He just was that messenger, that servant of God, and he just came in. But these guys were really interested. And I believe the Lord supercharged his words so these guys would gain interest, that they want to hear him out. Well, let's go to this official place where we spend all day talking about philosophy and religions and think, we want to hear from you. Come, come. Everyone's over. This is what we do kind of thing. We want you now to share this new teaching that we've never heard before. I love this. Paul was just doing what he does. 
God supercharged him. It was the Holy Spirit. And it was all God's sovereign plan, right? I mean, though persecution pushed Paul out of Berea all the way here to the city of Athens, God caused Paul's voice to be heard. The enemy tried to stop Paul in Thessalonica and Berea, but it only created more opportunity, and it's all by the Holy Spirit. So here's Paul. He's gaining a listening ear by the work of the Holy Spirit. I love that. I, I, I want to place that in my heart, you guys. So even in our, our sharing and our witnessing, we need to just keep doing what we do. Keep sharing Christ. Keep praying for someone. Keep trying to talk to someone. You know, and let the Holy Spirit supercharge your words and let God do the work. You don't have to strive. That's all Paul was doing, and God just opened it up for him. There's a, something, one of my favorite quotes from Hudson Taylor, I say it a lot, is he said, depend on it. God's work, then in God's way, will never lack God's supply. I believe Taylor didn't just... M- Talk, wasn't just talking about money or provisions, but I believe it encompasses everything, like our health, our, our faith, peace, strength, and, of course, the Holy Spirit. So here's Paul. He's just doing what he does, but he was empowered by the Holy Spirit for God's work. God was working it. And so you and I, we need to keep doing what we're called to and then let God do the work. And when it happens, it happens, and you'll know it's the work of God. When you gain that listening ear, it's not you. It's not anything you're great at. It's, it's the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit moving there. So that's your approach here. Just do what you do. Well, and let God bring those listening ears. All right. It's all in your approach. Number one, grieving the condition. Number two, gaining a listening ear. And then number three, getting the connection. I like this part. This is my favorite part of this passage. Getting the connection. And here we're going to cover verse 22 through 28. So it says here in verse 22, So Paul, standing in the midst of the uh, Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along... And observe the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. We'll stop there. All right, in verse 22, so Paul gets his opportunity. He's standing there in this, in this 
official kind of place. Everyone's gathered. Look, we want to hear from you. We, this is where we discuss things. So Paul is standing in the midst of this Areopagus and said, he addresses men in Athens, all you guys here. Now, I perceive that in every way, you guys are religious. I like that. I like that. He, he didn't put them down. He was grieved in his heart, of course, of worshiping demons. There's dishonoring God. He didn't like, you vile sinners, don't you know you're, you're disrespecting God. You're going to hell unless you repent. No, he didn't do that. He was, he was honest, true. They're very religious, right? They're, they're seeking all kinds of gods. But what he went with first was a bridge. He started to build a bridge. So I, I like that, how he approaches these guys. And then in verse 23, he says this. You know, as I pass along, it's like, well, I was walking down the street, and I observe all your objects of worship. Your, your bio idols. No, he didn't say, oh, I, I saw everything that was set up. And, and you know what's interesting? I found this altar with this inscription to the unknown God. It was like, I think God chose him that. I think it was like perfect for him. Oh, I know how to witness to these guys. And so he points out one of their idols. And so he says, what therefore you worship is unknown. This is what I proclaim to you. Isn't that like masterful? He, he's like, oh, he's using something that they put up. Yeah. And, and the reason they, they put up this idol to this unknown God is, is like just in case they missed one of them. <laughs> we don't want to make him bad, so, mad, so th- th- this, is, this is for you. So he used that as like this launching point to bridge this gap to them and to bring them to know the true God. He says, I saw this idol and I, uh, uh, to the unknown God, but let me tell you more about this unknown God. Let me, let me help you know this unknown God that you don't really know. Now, remember, Paul is addressing the Gentiles. So if you notice, it's a whole different approach, right? He's not like, well, the Old Testament says this, you know. And here's some prophetic uh, uh, verses, about messianic verses about the prophecy of the Messiah coming. No, he's speaking to these Gentiles, not Jews in the synagogue. So he's looking for that bridge. The bridge with the Jews was, well, they love the Old Testament. They're looking for the Messiah. So Paul goes to the Old Testament in the synagogue and says, hey, look, this, this is what, uh, let me tell you. This prophecy, yeah, we all know it. It was fulfilled, right? But here he comes at it with one of their idols that they worship. They're very religious. He goes, well, let me tell you more about this. What, what a masterful way to, to start this message. So he tailors the message to who he's witnessing to. And understand this, that he's not endorsing this idol, but he's using it in connecting with the people and connecting them to point them and lead them to the truth in Jesus. So I, I love this. Well, let me tell you about this unknown God. Don't the one uh, you, you can get to know this. So, so he goes on and, and he says in in um, verse twenty four, he's like the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by made by man. 
So he goes, you know who this unknown God is? He's the creator of everything. He's the creator of the universe. He, he made everything. And, and, and actually, you know, he, he doesn't live in temples made by man because he's much greater than that. He's, he's much more powerful than, than that. And so he goes on and he says that, well, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. So he comes in and says, not only is he the, the creator, but he doesn't need us. It's not, it's not like some of these other gods that you've got to go serve, you've got to do something for them. No, he doesn't need, need you at all. He's self-sufficient. We know that's one of the attributes of God because he's the powerful, almighty creator. Matter of fact, he says, you know, you can't contain it in temple or anything, but matter of fact, he's the one who gives life and breath to everything, to us, mankind, to, to, to plants and animals. That's God. God is the sus- sustainer. He, he, he's the one. He's actually the keeping things in existence. That, that's really the idea. And not only that, he's the one who made from one man, who's that Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. So he's the one who way at the beginning created man. And from there, the, the world got populated. And he's the one who sovereignly determined allotted periods and boundaries of dwelling place. He put people where they are. He put nations together, countries, he, where people live and, and dwell in. He's, he's the one who did that. And, and then he says, and he made them, in verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I like that. So not only is God our creator, not only did he make everything, not only did he make us, every person on the earth, not only that, but he gave us life and breath, and, and he doesn't need us, but he did this for us. Not, not only that, he made us that we should seek him and perhaps feel their way. In other words, that we would seek him out. That we would realize, wow, there's a creator. Who is he? Can we know him? That we would reach out to him or find him. He made us so that we would go and find him. To go and seek him out. And, and th- this was the God who gave us that life and breath anyway. So he's like, um, uh, he's the one. Who, who sustains us, right? So then Paul says here in, in um, uh, verse, what is it, 27, he's saying, look, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Since he gives us breath, since he created everything, since he's, he's our creator, you know, he's actually reachable. He's actually not too far. Matter of fact, then he quotes one of their poets. The first quote is Epimenides. To him we live and move and have our being. And it, it could be he was well known. It could be, oh yeah, we know that. He says, yeah, in him, see, we move. You know, he's bridging this gap. And even some of your own poets have said, like Greek poets have said, and we have... Uh, in." For we are indeed his offspring, like God has created us. He quotes a Stoic poet, 
Aratus. So Paul masterfully is bringing them, connecting with them. He, he uses their idol. He uses their, their poet, he quotes them, to connect with what they need to know. And what I love about this is Paul starts and meets where they are at. Isn't it incredible? I love this. I think we can learn from this. I, can, I think we can learn how to deal with people, how to uh, talk with people, how to share Jesus Christ from where they're at. And, and you know what I see here? Isn't this what Jesus did? He humbled himself, right? Came down to meet us where we are, to be among us. And so here's Paul. He met the Athenians where they were at. Paul was getting the connection by doing that, by meeting them where they are at. You know, I, I, I love this, and I want to get that more into my mind. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But let's see where they're at. Let's see where we can meet them at, maybe a lost friend or a relative, and, and, and find, a, find a way to make a bridge here. Find a way to be, make a connection with them. For me, and I, I, I shared this before, but many times, like early in the morning uh, at dawn, I'm in the water, and, and, and we're sitting waiting for some sets, uh, some waves to come in, and, and someone say, oh, look at that sunrise. It's beautiful. Oh, oh, this is incredible. Or, or look at that rainbow sometimes, right? You know what? I, I, I think, oh, great opportunity. I say, yeah, isn't it beautiful how God made this? And most of the time they say, yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't think they're Christians. But I feel like I can meet them right there and connect. Together we're seeing the same thing. Together we're, we're feeling the same thing, seeing this beautiful thing. But I can interject, well, yeah, God made that, you know. So like Paul, a good place to connect really is, you know, how God really is the creator of everything. And, and I think that that's a great place to start, yeah, is, is how God has done this. God has created this. God blesses us. So here's Paul getting this connection with them, using their own things. So it's all in your approach. He has that. Uh, he's grieving the condition, gaining a listening ear, getting the connection. And lastly, number four, is he's giving, then he's giving the true gospel. And so here we'll finish up the, the chapter here from verse 29. So it says here, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And of course he's talking about Jesus. So now Paul brings in the gospel here, and I think this is just beautiful. And so he says, well, well you guys believe that, yeah, we're, we're all children yeah, of God, that God created us. We're, we're all 
So being God's offspring, as I was telling you, he's our creator. He gave us life. He created us, and he created every person from one man, the nations, everything. So being now his offspring, we, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold, silver, stone, image formed by art and imagination of man. In other words, we, we can't think that God is these things, these idols, these, these uh, uh, um, legends and traditions. no. We can't put him in that aspect because he's creator God. And, and we're, we're, we're his creation, basically. And so we need to not think of God in that way. Matter of fact, in verse 30, he's saying that the, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands everywhere, and people everywhere to repent. In other words, it's okay, he let it go for now. But you know what? That, that time of God's mercy and grace is coming to an end. Now, we need to repent of looking at and thinking of God in that way. Why is that? Well, because of this man. Because Jesus, basically, uh, has a fixed day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And, and was, Jesus is now the judge who will judge you on, on what you did with his righteousness. In other words, I'm believing in what God did in giving Jesus to atone for our sins that we may be right before God. So he's saying, look, look, the, 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 the time is ending of his graciousness and mercy because now God is calling you. He's, he's, you're, gonna, you're called to accountability here because you know what? Jesus came because of this man who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. So Paul is bringing Jesus right into this whole thing. So he's saying basically, look, we're going to be accountable to the Creator, the one who sent a way of salvation, who, how to be made right with God. We need to listen. We need to do that. Now, I feel like Paul was, had already been preaching about Jesus, and he was bringing it all together. And, and now he brings in, and, and though maybe we don't read it here exactly in those words, but I, I believe he was already talking about Jesus. And so the gist of this is that, look, the only way to be saved is Jesus. You reject him, you reject salvation, and judgment is going to come. So notice what he says here in verse 30. He's saying that... Um, the times of ignorance of God is overlooked. Now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. He's calling them out for their sin of ignoring God, of going after these idols. He's calling them to repent. He's straight up here. He's giving, you know what? The true gospel. He's not sugarcoating this at all. Not at all. Well, what was the response in here? Well, we see that in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So what was the response? Well, first of all, some mocked him. Uh, they rejected this message. But some believed 
and were saved. When we read that they joined him while Paul was going, so they joined him, went with them, and I believe they prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And they give some examples. Luke gives some examples. Perhaps these people were known. Maybe they got known later in the church, but Dionysus, the uh, Aragite, it meant, the Aragite mean he was one of the council members of the uh, Areopagus. He got saved. Damaris, a woman, got saved, and others got saved. I love this, how Paul was used by God to bring these Gentiles in this very crazy city. Yeah, you think these people would be the last to be saved, but Paul was used by God to bring these people to the Lord. You know what's amazing to me is how he quoted these poets, yeah? But remember, Paul was a Hellenistic Jew, right? He grew up in the Greek world. Uh, I think he took what he knew, built this bridge, and, and he led them over the bridge all the way to Jesus Christ. So here's Paul. When he says repentance, he's showing really that these guys need Jesus. So Paul is giving the true gospel, and it's to show their need for Jesus. That, that's really what it's about. From, look, we have a creator, but look, we've sinned against him. What are we going to do? Well, you know what? God solved the problem by sending Jesus to atone for our sins, rising again from the dead. And now we can be saved. So we need Jesus because we can't save ourselves. That's the gist of what was going on here. I read about a, a Christian who was praying for an opportunity to witness to a Muslim friend and one day, by chance, he, he, he came upon uh, uh, this, this, the man, the Muslim friend, preparing for his prayer time by carefully washing his arms and carefully washing his face and other parts of his body. When he was done, the Christian friend told him that he had forgotten to wash one thing. And he said, what was that? Oh, you, oh that's washing your heart. Well, the man's like, don't be silly. I can't wash my heart. And Christian said, that's right. That's why you need Jesus. I like that. So, it's all in the approach, you guys. It's all in how we are used by God. Like as if Jesus was right there. Let's keep these things in mind when we're sharing Jesus. When God gives us opportunities. I think every day, the Lord will open up opportunities. I remember when I was growing up, and um, I think this was even before I was a Christian. I remember uh, I'd always hang out at the beach, and I remember seeing a man walking through on the sand, through the beach in the crowd, and he, he had a Bible in his hand, and he would just yell, turn or burn, turn or burn. I was joking with my friend. Yeah, you might get sunburned, so you better turn around. But that's his way of witnessing, basically. And then on another day, I remember him, uh, he was up, up the road a little bit. He had cornered someone and was giving him a little red book, this person. I forgot. I remember having those uh, <clears throat> later, but I, I never forgot him. He's like giving him a book and then say, saying, really forcing the person to pray a prayer to accept Jesus. Okay, pray after me, kind of thing, and giving him this little book. And, 
And it, it really puts something in my mind to this day, and that's why I say, is that this is not the way <laughs> that you share Jesus. This is not the way that you lead someone to Christ. Yeah. It's not threatening them. It's not forcing them. But it's meeting them where they're at and then building that bridge to bring them over to see Jesus because he's the only one that can save him. So it's all in your approach. Let's pray. God, <coughs> we want to be true witnesses for you, God. We, we want to share your love, Lord. And we want to share like how you share. God, we, we want to be your representatives, your ambassadors. So help us today to learn from Paul and his example. God, it, there's been many sermons made from this. There's many classes and seminars made from this passage on, on how Paul approached this pagan city with so many idols and gods. But Lord, how masterful he was in presenting the gospel and leading people to you, Jesus, and seeing people get saved. But, Lord, it's not so much him, but it's the Holy Spirit. So help us, Lord, to be submitted. Help us to be listening. Help us to have wisdom and to learn from this and incorporate into our daily lives and the opportunities you give us. Holy Spirit, be with us. Fill us now, God. And Lord, hear us as we spend some time in prayer, God, as we respond to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.